Hello and welcome to the Anglo-Saxons in their own words. My name is Danny. Today's episode is going to expand a little bit on what we talked about last week, namely, the conversion of the Anglo-Saxons. Now, as this podcast is primarily a primary source analysis podcast, I'm not going to go into detail on every story of the conversion, meaning every kingdom, and the few times Bede tells us about kingdoms backsliding under one king, and then subsequently re-embracing Christianity a generation later. That would take a while, and it's not really the point of this podcast. However, today we are going to focus on one guy who was pretty influential in the conversion story of the island. His name was Edwin, king of the Northumbrians. Now, similar to Ethelbert of Kent, Edwin's wife seems to have been converted before him, and his children were even baptized before he himself accepted Christianity. Edwin lived a portion of his life in exile before becoming king, although he was the son of King Ela of Northumbria. When his dad died, a certain Ethelrich assumed power, which put Edwin out of a crown and out on the road. From later accounts, we read that he spent some of his early exile years in Wales but the majority in Mercia, where he married the king's daughter, and in East Anglia, with King Raedwald. It is thanks to King Raedwald that Edwin was able to retake his throne. Raedwald was a Bretwalda, which in Old English either meant Britain ruler or wide ruler. After defeating Ethelfrith of Northumbria in 616, Edwin was installed by Raedwald as king of Northumbria. So that's a bit of a backstory for you on Edwin. But let's hear from Bede on how Edwin's journey, and more specifically his Christian journey, played out. Book 2, Chapter 9 Of the reign of King Edwin, and how Paulinus, coming to preach the gospel, first converted his daughter and others to the mysteries of the faith of Christ. At this time, the nation of the Northumbrians, that is, the English tribe dwelling on the north side of the river Humber, with their king, Edwin, received the word of faith through the preaching of Paulinus, of whom we have before spoken. This king, as an earnest of his reception of the faith and his share in the heavenly kingdom, received an increase also of his temporal realm, for he reduced under his dominion all the parts of Britain that were provinces either of the English or of the Britons, a thing which no English king had ever done before. He even subjected to the English the Mavanian lands, as has been said above. The more important of these, which is to the southward, is the larger in extent, and more fruitful, containing 960 families, according to the English computation, and the other contains above 300. The occasion of this nation's reception of the faith was the alliance by marriage of the aforesaid king with the kings of Kent, for he had been taken to wife of Ethelberg, otherwise called Teta, daughter to King Ethelbert. When he first sent ambassadors to ask her in marriage of her brother Aidbald, who then reigned in Kent, he received this answer, that it was not lawful to give a Christian maiden in marriage to a pagan husband, lest the faith and the mysteries of the heavenly king should be profaned by her union with a king that was altogether a stranger to the worship of the true God. This answer being brought to Edwin by his messengers, he promised that he would in no manner act in opposition to the Christian faith, which the maiden professed, but would give leave to her, and all that went with her, men and women, bishops and clergy, to follow their faith and worship after the custom of the Christians. Nor did he refuse to accept that religion himself, if, being examined by wise men, it should be found more holy and more worthy of God. So the maiden was promised and sent to Edwin, 
and in accordance with the agreement, Paulinus, a man beloved of God, was ordained bishop, to go with her, and by daily exhortations, and celebrating the heavenly mysteries, to confirm her and her company, lest they should be corrupted by intercourse with the pagans. Paulinus was ordained bishop by the Archbishop Justus, on the 21st day of July, in the year of our Lord 625, and so came to King Edwin, with the aforesaid maiden, as an attendant on their union in the flesh. But his mind was wholly bent upon calling the nation to which he was sent to the knowledge of truth, according to the words of the Apostle, to espouse her to the one true husband, that he might present her as a chaste virgin to Christ. Being come into that province, he labored much, not only to retain those that went with him by the help of God, that they should not abandon the faith, but, if haply he might, to convert some of the pagans to the grace of the faith by his preaching. But, as the Apostle says, though he labored long in the word, the God of this world blinded the minds of them that believed not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. The next year there came into the province one called Umer, sent by the king of the West Saxons, whose name was Tuchelm, to lie in wait for King Edwin, in hopes at once to deprive him of his kingdom and his life. He had a two-edged dagger, dipped in poison, to the end that, if the wound inflicted by the weapon did not avail to kill the king, it might be aided by the deadly venom. He came to the king on the first day of the Easter festival, at the river Derwent, where there was then a royal township, and being admitted as if to deliver a message from his master, whilst unfolding in cunning words his pretended embassy, he started up on a sudden, and unsheathing the dagger under his garment, assaulted the king. When Lilla, the king's most devoted servant, saw this, having no buckler at hand to protect the king from death, he at once interposed his own body to receive the blow. But the enemy struck home with such force that he wounded the king through the body of the slaughtered thane. Being then attacked on all sides with swords, in the confusion he also slew impiously with his dagger another of the thanes, whose name was Forth Hera. On that same holy Easter night, the queen had brought forth to the king a daughter called Ainfled. The king, in the presence of Bishop Paulinus, gave thanks to his gods for the birth of his daughter, and the bishop, on his part, began to give thanks to Christ, and to tell the king that by his prayers to him he had obtained that the queen should bring forth the child in safety and without grievous pain. The king, delighted with his words, promised that if God would grant him life and victory over the king by whom the murderer who had wounded him had been sent, he would renounce his idols and serve Christ, and as a pledge that he would perform his promise, he delivered up that same daughter to Bishop Paulinus to be consecrated to Christ. She was the first to be baptized of the nation of the Northumbrians, and she received baptism on the holy day of Pentecost, along with eleven others of her house. At that time the king, being recovered of the wound which he had received, raised an army, and marched against the nation of the West Saxons, and engaging in war, either slew or received in surrender all those of whom he learned that they had conspired to murder him. So he returned victorious into his own country. But he would not immediately and unadvisedly embrace the mysteries of the Christian faith, though he no longer worshipped idols ever since he made the promise that he would serve Christ. But first took heed earnestly to be instructed at leisure by the venerable Paulinus, in the knowledge of faith, and to confer with such as he knew to be the wisest of his chief men, inquiring what they thought was fittest to be done in that case. And being a man of great natural sagacity, 
He often sat alone by himself for a long time in silence, deliberating in the depths of his heart how he should proceed and to which religion he should adhere. So I'm going to interject right there before we move on to the next chapter. And I think it's important to note here that Edmund seems pretty noncommittal. He is kind of bouncing back and forth between saying he's going to be a Christian and saying he's not. He's, well, he actually never says that he's not going to be a Christian, but he consistently says that he will convert after he's taken some counsel. He will convert after he gets victory over the West Saxons. He will convert again and again. So there's a few more stories here that Bede includes, and Edwin basically continues to go back and forth like this. This story that we've just read takes place in 625. As best we can tell, his daughter was born in 625. And Edwin actually receives letters from the Pope, exhorting him to embrace the faith, as Bede says. And yet this still doesn't seem to be quite enough to convince him. So we actually don't hear of Edwin's conversion until 627. So overall, a two-year process. And I think something I should also address is in our last episode when we talked about King Ethelbert of Kent, it maybe seemed like a rather quick process, judging by the story that we heard from Bede. But in most cases, these things were not very quick at all, and they could take years as these Anglo-Saxon kings were eventually coaxed into putting off their old gods and eventually embracing Christianity. So, with that being said, let's hear about what happens to King Edwin in 627. Chapter 14. How King Edwin and his nation became Christians, and where Paulinus baptized them. King Edwin, therefore, with all the nobility of the nation, and a large number of the common sort, received the faith and the washing of holy regeneration in the eleventh year of his reign, which is the year of our Lord 627, and about 180 after the coming of the English into Britain. He was baptized at York on the holy day of Easter, being the 12th of April, in the church of St. Peter the Apostle, which he himself had built of timber there in haste, whilst he was a catechumen receiving instruction in order to be admitted to baptism. In that city also he bestowed upon his instructor and bishop Paulinus his episcopal see. But as soon as he was baptized, he set about building, by the direction of Paulinus, in the same place, a larger and nobler church of stone in the midst whereof the oratory which he had first erected should be enclosed. Having therefore laid the foundation, he began to build the church square, encompassing the former oratory. But before the walls were raised to their full height, the cruel death of the king left that work to be finished by Oswald his successor. Paulinus, for the space of six years from this time, that is, till the end of the king's reign, with his consent and favor, preached the word of God in that country, and as many as were foreordained to eternal life believed and were baptized. Among them were Osfrid and Eadfrid, King Edwin's sons, who were both born to him whilst he was in banishment, of Queen Berga, the daughter of Churl, King of the Mercians. Afterwards, other children of his, by Queen Ethelberg, were baptized, Ethelhun and his daughter Ethelthrith, and another, Wuskfria, a son. The first two were snatched out of his life whilst they were still in the white garments of the newly baptized, and buried in the church at York. Iffy, the son of Osfrid, was also baptized, and many other noble and royal persons. So great was then the fervor of the faith, as is reported, 
and the desire for the laver of salvation among the nation of the Northumbrians, that Paulinus, at a certain time, coming with the king and queen to the royal township, which is called Edgefrin, stayed there with them thirty-six days, fully occupied in catechizing and baptizing, during which days, from morning till night, he did nothing else but instruct the people resorting from all villages and places in Christ's saving word, and when they were instructed, he washed them with the water of absolution in the river Glen, which is close by. This township, under the following kings, was abandoned, and another was built instead of it, at the place now called Mailman. These things happened in the province of the Bernicians, but in that of the Deiri also, where he was wont often to be with the king, he baptized in the river Swale, which runs by the village of Cataract. For as yet, oratories or baptisories could not be built in the early infancy of the church in those parts. But in Campodonum, where there was then a royal township, he built a church which the pagans, by whom King Edmund was slain, afterwards burnt with all the place. Instead of this royal seat, the later kings built themselves a township in the country called Loidus. But the altar, being of stone, escaped the fire, and is still preserved in the monastery of the most reverend abbot and priest, Thridwolf, which is in the forest of Elmet. Now, you'll have noticed that Bede actually says that Edmund was cruelly slain. So, he wasn't slain right after becoming a Christian. It seems like Bede sort of puts that as a note in the midst of this story. Um, But he did die in 633 AD, and he actually died fighting King Penda of Mercia, who, ironically, was the last of the pagan kings of Anglo-Saxon England. I'll read you this little snippet of the account of King Edwin's death. Chapter 20. How Edwin being slain, Paulinus returned into Kent, and had the bishopric of Rochester conferred upon him. Edwin reigned most gloriously seventeen years over the nations of the English and the Britons, six whereof, as has been said, he was also a soldier in the kingdom of Christ. Cadwalla, king of the Britons, rebelled against him, and being supported by the vigorous Penda of the royal race of the Mercians, who from that time governed that nation for twenty-two years with varying success. A great battle being fought in the plain that is called Healthfeth, Edwin was killed on the 12th of October in the year of our Lord, 633, being then 48 years of age, and all his army was either slain or dispersed. So Northumbria would actually go through a bit of a rocky period after Edwin's death, but they would eventually return to Christianity, as is recorded in Bede's history, under the reign of King Oswald, who was especially pious and eventually venerated as a saint. And like I said, King Penda was the last of the Anglo-Saxon pagan kings. His son had become a Christian some years previous to his own death, and so at this point we're now looking at a Christian Anglo-Saxon England, approximately 180 to 200 years after the English first arrived in Britain. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed this little mini-series on Anglo-Saxon Christianity. I thought it would be important to include some of these accounts in order for you to get an idea of how Anglo-Saxon England came to faith, and also get more of a feel for Bede's, and more broadly, the Anglo-Saxon people's interpretation of these events. Like I've said a few times before, religion was important to the Anglo-Saxons, and knowing a bit more about how they viewed the world through their religious worldview will help us better understand some more of their texts. That's it for today, guys. So, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at 
theanglosaxonpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.